Medical information obtained from our website or the live show is not intended to be a substitute for professional care. If your pet has or you suspect they might have an illness or other medical condition, you should consult a health care provider. The opinions expressed on this radio program are not necessarily those of All Paws Pet Talk, this radio show, or their sponsors. Smart Animal Talk on All Paws Pet Talk Radio. But that is not how I should be saying hello to you today. I should be saying meow or prrr or some such cat noise because the first segment of this show, anyway, is going to be all about cats. Now, dog lovers, don't despair. You always hog all the attention with your big slobbery uh, explosions of energy. And this today won't be different. I'm a dog lover and a cat lover, so we will get to the dogs later in the show, but at first, I'll I'll try and tie some dog topics into the cat topics, too, but at first, we've got the pleasure of having two guests, a recurring guest, Dusty Rainbolt, who's written the book that I love called Cat Wrangling Made Easy, and other books, too, but that's one of my favorites. It just tells you why your cat does what it does and how you can read its body language if you have more than one to figure out who's getting picked on and who's not and who's happy and... Just all sorts of things like that. So, Dusty Rainbow, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me again. It's great to be back. Yes, it's lovely to have you. And as usual, I'm sure we may have some cat questions flying in today about why the cats do the crazy things they do. But um, we also have Pat Harbert. And I thought I'd put you two together because it just made sense. <laughs> Very, You can tell right away why it would make sense. So um, Pat's coming to us representing Red River Rascals, which is a cat club with members in five South Central states. Um, they're affiliated with the International Cat Association. And she's here to talk about the next cat show in Oklahoma City and some other things, too. So welcome to the show, Pat. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. You know, a lot of my listeners, I took my kids for the first time ever just a couple weeks ago to their first cat show. A lot of my listeners have never been to a cat show. Your next cat show is in Oklahoma City. What can they expect? Do you, do you have to already be into cats? Do you have to be, or is, is this something that people would really enjoy? What do I they think it's something for a whole family to enjoy. Um, a lot of people think it's like a dog show where they lead them and they run around the ring but a cat show you can actually go around talk to the owners meet the cats and then watch them be judged by sitting in a chair so you can sit and watch every cat in the show go through each judge so when I um you know it's almost like a car show as opposed to a dog mm-hmm, show talk mm-hmm. talk to all the owners and then you and find out the cats to past you instead of you having to watch all of them run around it amazed me at this cat show when I, when I stopped to consider that all of the male cats in the room are intact and they're within inches of each other and they're being pulled out and petted and groomed and put back and displayed and handled and nobody's upset about it. That amazed me. What's going on with that? How do you get that? I think when most something people... Dusty could help also with because part of it is training and part of it may be the age of the male cats. If they have not been used for breeding yet, they uh, show them up until they begin to be territorial. 
Oh, okay. Is that what's going on there, Dusty? Absolutely. Well, and and you have to remember, these guys, uh, as soon as they're weaned, before they're weaned, they're starting to to hold them and, and train them to to relax in strangers' hands, and they're already around a lot of cats anyway if they're coming from a cattery. So they're used to being around a lot of cats. And the truth is there's probably some pretty grumpy males out there, but they don't last very long in the show ring. So, you know, the the ones that are there are, uh, are used to being handled, and they're fabulous cats. I love show uh, cat shows. Oh, I do too. We work okay, hard, so play hard, and to, love our cats. <laughs> I had to talk my kids into it, which was sort of odd to me because they love cats, they love huh. dogs, but I had to talk them into it. And we walked into this auditorium, and there were these little booths all around the outside where they had the chairs set up for different uh, judgings, and mm-hmm. it's sort of a platform where the cat is then sort of put almost like a preacher bima sort of thing uh, for people to, like a platform for people to actually see it. Yeah. And um, cages all behind where the cats wait before they get examined and cages all with the owners on their displays and their mm-hmm. extra cats. And both my kids were, they weren't going anywhere fast. Like it was just fascinating. The amount of variety is, is so interesting. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a program in Tika also where youngsters can show Usually they start out showing their household pets rather than a purebred, and they learn how to uh, prepare the cat ahead of time, how to handle a cat, how to present it to the judge, and then they begin to learn more and more about breeds, and they get uh, training in uh, public speaking and leadership, and uh, we have some that have moved on uh, to the judging program. So they really enjoy it. Well, I saw cats that look like monkeys, cats that look like kittens, <laughs> cats that look like leopards, cats that look, cats that look like we lions. actually even have one now that's supposed to look like a werewolf. A the werewolf? Oh, I think, uh-huh. you know what, I think I saw cat. that guy. I, I remember <laughs> thinking that was kind of a sad-looking animal. But, um, but you know, it's all, it's all beauty in the eye of the beholder. Yep. Some, people some of the owners just people, adore them. Right? Some people think drooly dogs are cool. Uh, it's all about <laughs> perspective. Uh, so, okay, so a kid can enter a cat that isn't a show cat, isn't intact, or, you know, can just be your cat. Your yeah, little domestic household cats center. have to be altered. But it has to be a certain kind of cat, right? I mean, I wouldn't suggest people be trying to show their cat that doesn't like people, right? As long as it's healthy, clean, mm-hmm. and able to be handled, you know, where it's not terrified in a group, uh, they can show it in the household pet pro- program. And they receive uh, titles and awards just like the pedigreed cats in Tika. I have so to, uh, if I could uh, make a point here, yes, I, yes. one of the things I enjoy most uh, are the, the household pets. And every mm-hmm. it seems like every time I see a judge handling a household pet, they will almost uh, always say, this is my favorite category. They just love to get the, these kitties in yes. that are just plain old kitty cats, and the cats love to be handled, and they love to be in the public eye, and mm-hmm. and the judges like it, the public likes it. Just go and enjoy the the household pets, even if you don't know anything about the other breeds. Mm-hmm. It's a good, and it's Just, a good way to, to stick if, your toe in. 
Yeah. Well, if people want to do that, Jesse, how, how yeah. would you suggest they start? Say they have a kid who's maybe 12 or 15 and really bonded to the cat, or maybe an adult wants to start and just bring their, bring their regular cat. How do you get right. the cat ready for that? Uh, like I said, you have to have it clean. If that means a bath or taking it to a groomer, it has to have uh, all of its shots up to date and uh, be handled enough that they know it's going to be comfortable in a situation like that. And then they go to the uh, redriverrascals.com, and it will have information on how they can enter their cat in the show. Dusty, to follow up with that, if people are listening and they want to get from where they are now, they just had this idea, to to that step where they're actually loading up the car and driving to the show and pre-registering, uh, oh. what, are they, what should they do in the middle? If this was a dog show and a dog, I would be saying things like, get it used to the kennel, get it used to the car. What about when it's a cat? Oh, exactly the same thing. You know, you start by handling the, the kitty, uh, uh, holding them from underneath. You can, you can see pictures on uh, Google Images about uh, how they stretch the cats out on the, the stand. Uh, you uh, have your friends come over and hold them. You, you kind of uh, uh, handle the face and, and pull, not pull the tail, but stretch the tail out and handle mm-hmm. their paws. Um, uh, oh, also, now, I think Tika, uh, Tika allows declawed cats, but uh, CFA household pets or pedigreed cats cannot be declawed. Yes, so. Tika allows it because so many cats are rescued, uh-huh. and they may already be declawed, and so they do allow for household pets to be shown. Yeah, but I, I think C, uh, that CFA doesn't. And yeah, so, I don't you know, that, so. that gives you options. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but it's mainly just handling them. Have your friends handle them. Take them to the vet. Let the vet techs mm-hmm. handle them. Take them to a pet smart or pet co. And exactly. But get them used uh, to high doing, feelings. When you're doing this, I would always advise people to um, uh, have the people uh, wash their hands first or uh, put uh, sanitizer on. Yes. See, now I'm that person. I'm that person that walks around when I take my puppies, because I'm a dog breeder, when I take mm-hmm. my puppies to visit the schools and stuff like that, I'm mm-hmm. that person who makes the kids line up, and I spray them all on the hands, and I make sure they get both yes, sides you their have hands. Your sanitizer at the benching. <laughs> yes. I got it. It's on me. Because you can't expect everybody to, to be as worried about... And, and the thing is, as much as you might vaccinate and protect your pet, there's things that can be carried. There's things that be, can be transmitted. So, yeah. so you want to keep those risks down. So I think a good brush after an outing is important, too, right? Mm-hmm. Get it? Mm-hmm. Get the, yes. Um, One cat okay, so, may be immune to something, but someone handling it may go to another cat, and it may not be immune to it. Well, and that's yeah. another thing about cat shows. If you've never been to a cat show, don't expect to get to play with the kitties because... Uh, uh, yeah. the, the owners don't know where your hands have been. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, There are a few that will let them pet them. Yeah, but they but have the hand sanitizer, re- but not very many. Yeah, they generally require you to use the sanitizer. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, they don't want you touching them because they don't want you coming in or a, a person coming in with perhaps ringworm on their fingers. Oh, That's yes. happened to me at, at uh, Petco when I've had uh, kitties up there available for adoption, they'll get ringworm on their nose or their their paws. 
because I hate ringworm. I hate it. For people listening, it's not really a worm. It's a fungus. And it it, uh, gets into animals, usually puppies and kittens, but kids too. And the treatment takes forever, and you have to isolate the animals from the kids. And oh my goodness, when I've rescued kittens before. If you ever get it around your cats, you can't show them until it's been cleared for at least 30 days. So that, that's yes. the reason uh, people aren't being mean because they won't let you pet the, the cat. That's the reason. They don't want you inadvertently giving their cat something mm-hmm. that's going to cause problems. Right. So, so um, would it be correct to suggest, because this is what I would suggest for a dog show, if someone was asking me, I want to show my dog, I want to show it in a dog show, I'm going to register it, I would say, go to one first. No dog. Check that's it out. That's a good idea. Same thing with the cat? Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Go to a show, Is see what it's all about. We have another one coming up in Wichita the 12th of this month, and they could go see the show and then maybe decide they want to enter their cat in the Oklahoma City show. Nice. Well, I went to this cat show, as I told you, and the thing that I had to buy, in fact, I bought quite a few of, <laughs> that I wish I was a seller of, I wish I had these things on my online store, I may look for it, was this, it was only $2. But 100% of the profits went to cat rescue. So I was happy to buy a whole whack of them. And it was a very simple black hairband, plastic hairband, just like little girls wear to school every day. Only it had two triangular cat's ears on it. And I'm not kidding. This thing was all over. People were wearing, it was almost, it was, everybody was buying these. So (laughs) I thought that was a great, great aspect to the whole thing. Yes. Shel- giving the money to the shelters and the rescue. Is your organization hooked up with that? Our organization usually uh, donates to the uh, Animal Resource Center in Oklahoma City. It's just recently been changed to New Leash on Life. And then we also donate to Recycled uh, Love, which is a rescue that takes elderly animals from the shelters and places them with older people after they get them healthy and and vaccinated and uh, also the uh, local shelters around our gate is usually run by the oklahoma city pet pantry so that they can provide food for people who have no money to feed their pets because pets are so important to people and I think sometimes breeders and show people, and I'm a breeder, we get blamed and it's not even acknowledged that we're the same people doing the rescue. We're the same people contributing. Oh, yes. I mean, I just picked up a dog from the fire zone. I drove uh, three hours out of my way, two ways, my gas, my dime, got her vaccinated, have to quarantine her from all other animals here uh, for three days and for 21 days from any puppies. Uh, you know, that, that's just because I felt bad for her. And, yeah. you know, there's so many situations like that. In 2000, I saved 100 cats that were part of a hoarding apprehension by the local yeah. authorities. And I don't even run a cattery. I mean, why they came to my dog kennel? Why? Because sometimes it's the animal lovers, the animal breeders, the show people who are the only ones they can ask, the only ones set up to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Have you ever tried to handle 96 or so cats that want to bite you because they've never been handled in their life? Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody. So, you know, the best rescue work often is being done by the professionals. And when you go to a cat show, you see that aspect of it too. It's oh, yeah. not just the fortunate cats and and it's it's not something you need to feel guilty about so uh dusty i know that animal rescue and cats is close to your heart and in fact you often while i'm talking to you 
seem to have foster kittens somewhere <laughs> in your house. Do you want to say something about how people can help part-time, full-time with a cat, an older cat? What, what's, what's most needed out there? Well, now, are you talking about fostering? I'm talking about just how can, if someone has a soft spot for cats, how can they help? What's the best way right now? Oh, I, I think that uh, offering to foster uh, a cat, or especially, especially an older or special needs cat or, uh, you know, small kitten, is fabulous because it doesn't matter whether you are the largest um, facility in the country, like uh, Best Friends or ASPCA New York, or uh, if you're the, the little group down the, the street uh, that has their uh, adoption center at Petco and PetSmart, everybody mm-hmm. needs foster homes. So yes. if you contact your local group and tell them you want to foster a cat, that's how you're going to save lives. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you can't do that, then coming in, volunteering, you know, cleaning cages, just socializing cats that are, are, you know, in cages awaiting adoption. That's so important because they need to be handled. They need to be touched. Mm-hmm. They need to um, get over the fear of being in a cage. Um, I know it sounds silly. Provide paper bags so, uh, or in little boxes so these cats in cages have places to go. Uh, there's, there's just all And even of things like driving. If you have a vehicle and you're willing to drive yes. a cat from somewhere to somewhere, some of these foster vet. people don't mm-hmm. have cars, and there's a vet appointment. It's not a big deal, you exactly. know, but you might make a friend. You might get connected. So if someone joins uh, your club, I, I want to know, Pat, what would it be like for them? When, when they go to a show, are they, are they working? Are they working the door? Yes, the what are they up to? Before the show, we uh, work real hard setting everything up. We have to set up the cages and tables for the cats and the judges' stands. And, of course, we have our decorations. We're usually a cowboy theme in Oklahoma City. <laughs> so we work all together and get that set up. And then after the show, uh, we take it all down and put it up for the next year. During the show, we have different jobs for everybody to do. So they're involved in all parts of the show, and yet at the same time can show their own kitties. So if people are looking for a way into the cat world, but maybe you can't own a cat at this time, or you're just not ready to, maybe your cat passed away and you're still too attached, this would be Mm -hmm. a really good way to connect with the cat world. Some of our members are rescuers, some of them are breeders, and some of them just adore cats. Do you have any future plans for this club? Uh, Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're branching out and starting a new club in Muskogee so we can branch it and get it a little bit closer to Arkansas. So we can invite in more and more people that enjoy being around cats and working together with cat lovers. You know, I guess this question could go to either of you, but I'll put it to Pat because I think we're coming close to a break. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I've gotten so carried away with this topic. Don't often have two cat experts on at the same time. It's usually <laughs> doggy, doggy, doggy on this show. So a um, little well, bit of horse thrown in and some wildlife. <laughs> Pardon me? My cats own their own dog. <laughs> oh, nice. Now, what kind of dog? She's a German Shepherd. And she does what they want? Oh, yes. And when she's scared of lightning, they lick her ears and calm her down. She thinks they're her herd or her flock. Yes. That's what's going on with that. Or they think she is. I'm not sure. (laughs) 
She's their care minder. That's very yeah. nice. Well, um, I wanted to ask, um, I guess both of you can take turns. We'll go with Pat first. A, a lot of times people who talk to me about dog shows usually, but cat shows too, they roll their eyes. After I went to this cat show and I was talking about it for a week or two after, you know, all I was talking about, oh, you wouldn't believe this, and you and people <laughs> were getting sick of it, right? Rolling their eyes at me. And they would say, that's just a glorified beauty contest, isn't it? And then I have to argue, well, actually, the standards are about the health and fitness, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, yeah, it is kind of a beauty contest on some levels. Um, it is. Do you want another cat It has its own standards, and they have <laughs> to fit that standard. But then uh, the cleanliness, the health, um, all of the cat care that we try to teach so so desperately because we feel like if people care for animals, they make kinder individuals. Dusty, what about yes. behavior? When the judge holds that cat up and he stretches out the tail and he feels around the cheeks and he's looking at, okay, I think certain cats he wants a certain length of head, a certain length of tail. Mm-hmm. Each cat has a different standard, just like the dog world. But in the dog world, the dog can't bite, the dog can't growl, the dog can't get wild, the dog can't pee or misbehave, and all that stuff happens live on camera. So <laughs> what about in the cat world? What's, what's the deal with that? Well, uh, uh... I'm not really sure what your your question is. They do sometimes misbehave. I've seen... Uh, like uh, what cats. would be considered a good cat compared to a misbehaving cat? Because you don't... I didn't see it any... This entire show, I didn't see any cat scratch, growl, lash out. So I'm trying to decide... I mean, in the dog world, you can tell the bad ones from the good ones. It's really noticeable, right? The ones mm-hmm. who are flunking, it, you notice. What are they seeing in the cats that makes one well-behaved and the other... Not. I, I think that's a better uh, question for uh, Pat. Why don't you answer that? Well, I do know that uh, in Tika, if the cat is afraid, that's uh, not a disqualification. And I've seen judges work so sweet with them, try to calm down. And uh, the disqualification is if the cat shows aggression and tries to scratch or bite, they can be uh, disqualified and removed from the ring. What if the cat uh, is um, just too reactive, like uh, starts to get playful or act like the prey drives an issue? Maybe goes for the cuff of the the show. Is that a is that a sign that no, the cat uh, is playfulness? That... The judges really know how to handle them, so they can usually use a teaser and work mm. with them, so they avoid uh, having their hand caught instead of the the toy. But uh, playfulness is encouraged. I've seen them climb all the way to the top of a scratching post, just having a good time. I've also seen them climb to the, the top of the judge's head and stand there. <laughs> and, and, of course, that one's one of the ones that always comes in highest because it's oh, yes. adorable. How can you? The judge's level. You, yeah. But, yeah, when, when they See, now, in the playful, dog world, that would not get big points at all. That's really interesting. That's a reversal there. Now, cats but are encouraged to play. Yeah, that's that's a part of the the beauty, especially in household pets, is that if you can get them to play and mm-hmm. and uh, show the personality, because uh, not only is a, a cat show a beauty contest, uh, it, a good judge will sit there and talk about the breed itself. Okay, here's yes. the Turkish Van, and I can say Turkish Van because I've got them, or I used to, and uh, you know Turkish Vans, blah blah blah. They're active. They're cobby. You know they have. Uh, big muscles, blah, 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 as opposed to the Turkish Angora, which is a finer-boned 
and okay. it's the Turkish cat. Are they the swimmers? They're the swimmers, right? They are the swimming cat. Yes, indeed, and they do swim in the wild uh, at the uh, Van Lake in Turkey near uh, Mount Ararat. <laughs> well, from what I've seen around my farm, and almost every kitten that grows up here eventually has some kind of mishap. Cats can swim. They can. I've seen them swim out of the pond. I've seen them, seen them swim out of the hot tub, which is their usual mistake. Yep, they can if they have to. <laughs> yes. And they're good. They're actually mm-hmm. good swimmers, I was surprised to discover. I well, have I bangles, and I have, I have had them that jump in the shower with me. So, Well, Turkish oh. bands usually have to be raised around water in order to want to swim. Most of them are, are, are fascinated by water. But for the ones that you see in the swimming pools and the bathtubs, those those animals have probably been raised they with learned water. That. Yeah, so it's not something all of a sudden when they're they're uh, eight months old they go, oh, I'm going to go jump in water. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's interesting because with um, you know, I've had both examples with dogs. I've had dogs who are not of a water breed. But at some point in their life, they just decide, okay, the game's in the water. I'm joining in. I can't miss out anymore. And then I've had other dogs that are a retriever, a water breed, that have never been around water. And the first time they jump in, they literally sink because they don't (laughs) think to even, you know. But within the same day, they're one of the best swimmers in the dog pond, you know. So it's a both thing with dogs. It's it's nature and and nurture. Um, And it sounds like the same with these particular cats. Ladies, yeah. we ran out of time. I, I don't know how we did that, but it was such a great show. So, Dusty, can I invite you to just let people know what website they can look for more from you, and then we'll go with Pat after that and give out the websites? Sure. Uh, they can. My website is DustyCatWriter.com, and that's W-R-I-T-E-R. And I do want, to, if people out there uh, have had uh, situations with inappropriate elimination and they've overcome them, I'd love to be able to include your stories in my book. So you can reach me at uh, DustyCatWriter at P.O.Box.com. Oh, I have one of those. Well. I, because you helped me with it live on air. Oh, cool. I have one of those right. from one of my customers. It was um, a cat, one of my, you know, callers to my website with a question that, and it was an older cat, and you figured out that it, it was had to do with sight and and different things like that. I'll remember that one. A calico female mm-hmm. who was afraid of mostly everything and all of a sudden at 10 just randomly started peeing on the bed. And yep. um, the person didn't understand because she'd always used the covered litter box where it was and the open litter box where it was and everything was fine. And as it turns out, by following your advice, which I believe, I think you told her to go with completely uncovered litter boxes and leave a light on for a while and for three weeks shut the cat out of the area with the bed it was using. Mm -hmm. And she called back to the show and said it not only worked, but now she put the lid back on one of the litter boxes and it still works. So she's totally happy. Opened up the bedroom door, the cat sleeps on the bed again. Everything's good. So I had one for you. It's your own, though. Excellent. Yeah, we so, just had a, a Bengal rehomed because the uh, husband was trying to break the cat from urinating on the bed by stamping his feet and yelling at it. Oh, well, that helped, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just did it more. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to but understand. it's very happy in a new home now. 
People have to understand that when an animal urinates, it's a submission and it's a fear. And so yes. to make it more afraid and more like you're tough and scary it and in charge is not going to solve it. It's got mm. the wrong way around. So picture a kid who's so scared he pees himself when he's having a nightmare. Mm -hmm. You can't help mm -hmm. that by screaming at him. This exactly. is not going to work. So try something nice and kind or go see a trainer or better yet, rehome that poor animal. They deserve better than that. Well, thank you for joining me today, ladies. Pat Harvard. Um, I wish you give out your website again for Red River Rascals. RedRiverRascals.com. There we go. Red River Rascals. You see that five times. All right. So thank you, Pat, and thank you, Dusty. Until next time, Dusty, I always enjoy talking to you. I enjoyed it. Me too. Okay. All right, everybody. Stay tuned to Smart Animal Talk on All Paws Pet Talk Radio. It's me, Dabra Wolf, dog trainer, cat training dabbler, and uh, we'll be back after this. I'm your doggy, and I love you, and you know that I need you too. Hey, pet lovers, listen up. The world's first and only toilet seat for cats of all sizes. No more money spent for cat litter, and no more odors, and no more infections. For more info, go to catsofthrones.com. Go to catsofthrones.com. So do it right now. Go to www.catsofthrones.com. As a dog owner, you know that dogs can eat just about anything. But when food becomes a health troublemaker, or your animal has been on antibiotics or heavy meds, or GI issues set in, your animal's gut may be out of balance and needs Goo Gut Rescue. Goo Gut Rescue is 100% natural and veterinarian prebiotic and probiotic formulated to rescue your animal's gut from bad bug dominance. Remember, your dog's total health begins with gut health. Don't delay. Visit GooGutRescue.com. Your pets doing? Are they full of energy? Are they strong and healthy? Are their coats smooth and glossy? Well, at BackToEden.us, it's quick and easy to put the pizzazz back into your pets. BackToEden.us has products that are like nothing else you have ever tried. Go to BackTheNumberToEden.us to turn your pet's body clock back to Eden. BackTheNumberToEden.us. BackTheNumberToEden.us. Hey, pet lovers, listen up. No more fleas and no more ticks with the No More Tick Spray. All natural, non-toxic, and even safe enough for you to use on yourself. It smells great. You have to try it. It really works. This is what I want you to do. Go to www.nomoreticks.com. Once again, nomoreticks.com. Your pet will love you for it. Go to nomorticks.com. Hey, pet lovers, listen up. Per Spray Pet, all-natural, non-toxic spray for all of your pet problems. Proven safe to use for their skin, eyes, and ears. Helps calm and heal wounds, hot spots, insect bites, and lots more. Will not sting, 
and very safe to use even for your feathered friends. To find out how you can keep your pets happy and healthy, go to purspraypet.com. That's P-U-R spraypet.com. Purspraypet.com. Or call us now at 386-310-3924. <laughs> to Smart Animal Talk, All Paws Pet Talk Radio, with me, Deb Wolf, DebraWolfOnline.com. If you're looking for the special deals I'm about to hook you up with on my website, haven't come yet, but they're coming soon. Plus, there's links there to everything, all the puppies and dogs that come to Camp Good Dogs, swimming in the pond and hanging out and doing their doggy little camping trips when they come out here, when their owners go on holiday to exotic places the dogs would rather miss out on and just get dirty in the Canadian forest then get clean and go home again to their life in the city. So we service the dogs of Vancouver and we take their pictures and you get to see them looking really happy. You can find that on my site and old radio shows and and like I said, some special offers coming soon at DebraWolfOnline.com if you want to sign up. It'll be happening very soon. So right now we just did a cat show. And I forgot to tell the ladies about this place I heard of called Aoshima in southern Japan. It's an island. Now picture this. If you don't like people and you do like cats, the population of this island is 22 people and 120 cats. Wow. Imagine life there. (laughs) Okay. So um, I have some other news items. And one of them I want to talk about, and then I'll introduce my first guest because I think she may have something to say about this. There was a family with an autistic kid who has anxiety issues and has a trained dog to work with him. He's tethered to the dog so he won't run into traffic, and the dog helps him with stress. And this kid is from Toronto, so is the dog and the family. And they've gone all over the world and all over the country. No problems getting the dog on boats and helicopters, this, that, and the other. Until they came to my province, my city, my area, British Columbia, Canada, to watch some whales. And two of the guide dog or two of the whale watching boat companies refused them to let the dog on. Then they went and called a third and they refused too. So they've been talking about this a lot in the news. And uh, guide dogs are supposed to be viewed as an extension of the disabled person. And an autistic assistance dog is supposed to be considered the same as a seeing eye dog if it's registered and licensed and trained. However, Bill Thornton, who's someone who I've had on my show before, he's the spokesperson for BC Guide Dogs in Canada. Um, They train dogs, dogs for the blind. And the dogs that don't quite make it through the program all the way are sometimes retrained for kids with autism. So he knows what he's talking about here. Bill Thornton said, well, they really do have a right to bring the dog anywhere. On the other hand, that boat is very fast and it's a very long journey and there's an unpredictability factor when they actually see the whales. So, oh, where do you go with that one? Service rights versus animal rights versus the public's rights. It's a tough one. And um, we've got a guest on the show coming up who deals with Merlin's kids, shelter dogs, service dogs, shelter dogs retrained for service. So, Janice Wolf, I thought I'd bring this question to you. What do you think about all this? 
Oh, thanks, Deborah. It's great to be on the show, as always. Thank that you. is something that we weigh in on every day. Um, there are so many different opportunities that are presented once somebody has a trained service dog. Just for everyone to know that in the United States, you don't have to have a dog certified. There is no certifying agency in the U.S. Um, and the typical uh, issues affiliated with somebody who has a service dog is, is access. Now, if you would say uh, the dog was on a boat, and that's funny because this last week I was on Lake Ontario with one of my service dogs, uh, Rhodesian Ridgebacks are notoriously not happy about being in or near water, but uh, he had to go because I went. So I would always look at first if there was a way that um, in that situation that the dog might be able to, rather than being there, that the dog might be able to be sort of supplemented. This is one of those questions that, that, for lack of a better pun, dogs us in the industry. When we're training a dog to be a service dog for a child, first we want to do is make sure that we don't um, create any additional problems besides the issues that, that we already have. So if the chance of this boat um, and if something did happen and the dog had to be rescued or if the dog barked and scared the whales away or scared somebody away, or if somebody else on the boat is fearful of dogs, we would try to be, um, as much as possible, you know, be sensitive to that issue. So this is something that really should have been discussed with the uh, boat owner or, like, with any anything. Uh, we should give people a little bit of a heads up. Now, restaurants, malls, different situations like that, that it's kind of public access is one thing. But in the U.S., now I don't know in Canada, although we do have quite a few service dogs up in Canada, in the U.S., um, it's it's a public location or a place that is reasonably um, required to accommodate um, public, you know, people in the public. So, you know, that that's a really tough one. I, I have brought dogs on boats before, certainly, and on cruise ships. But if it's something like that with a whale watching where, the you know, people could be potentially moving around or the dog could bark or be afraid, um, you know, those things are, are things that definitely should have been uh, addressed and spoken with the, um, the owner of the boat or the company. It, it occurs to me that even the restroom issue, where does the dog go to the bathroom if this is a five or six hour trip is kind oh, of an issue. Not- that's nothing. We've been on 14-hour plane rides, and a dog who is well-trained and well-behaved uh, should be able to easily go 12 hours without a problem. And if the dog isn't able to do that, it might not be the right service dog. Um, that's one of the requirements. We have dogs um, potty on command. So if we are uh, you know, going to be going on a long plane ride, the dogs are basically you know, uh, relieved ahead of time, and we'll say you know, go take, our words are go take a break. They'll go take a break, and now they're set for, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours. We've had some of our dogs even go longer than that. But obviously, you know, you have to be sensitive to the needs of the dog, and you do have to continue to give the dog water when it needs it as well. If you're listening out there and you think, hey, why didn't I teach my dog that? Yeah, I'm wondering the same thing. Why didn't you teach your dog that? When you were house training your dog and you took it out for its pee-pee breaks and his poo-poo breaks and you said, good puppy, good puppy. When you were doing that, you could have assigned a word to it. 
Like, do you exactly. want to use the bathroom? Do, or you could do it in another language. You can be discreet. You can make up a word. Your dog will know the word. Just don't use a word that's like your surname or something, the name of your business, something that you're <laughs> using all the time. Okay, pick a word that's special. You say that word. When I was a kid, one of our puppies was trained to the word snapper. Do you want some snapper? And she'd go running outside. I, I think it was because she used to bark and kind of snap at the bushes and uh, when she did her thing. And that's how it started with us kids using that word. But um, it doesn't really matter what word you use. Even right now, even with your grown dog, when you go out to the bathroom and he lifts his leg on a tree or she squats, just start saying the word and telling her, good girl. She'll know what you mean. In a couple of weeks, you'll be able to tell her. And it's so convenient for road trips and things like that. When, when you don't want to stop in another 20 minutes because the dog didn't bother to go at the last stop, right? If only it would work with children. Yeah, if only. Yes, and adults and parents. Yes, yes, it doesn't quite work the same. Um, you know, there's this comedy routine I saw on TV the other day, a comedy special from Comedy Now, and the guy talks about how he was at the bank and he was waiting for his wife and he could tell it was going to be a long time. And he couldn't really leave and he couldn't really go. And But the dogs needed to have a bathroom break. And he saw this beautiful yard right there at the bank with this sign that said, no dogs. And he thought, ah, I'll just, I'll just take him up for a little pee break. He takes his two little dogs out for a pee break. And he's standing there with one on either side of the no dog sign. And somebody comes out of the bank and says, excuse me, but, <laughs> but that's, that sign says no dogs. And the guy answers, oh, yeah. I guess the sign's wrong. It should say two dogs. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, right on. Or dogs can't read. But in some ways, we do have to respect each other. And that's the thing. If you go breaking the rules, if you go trying to get your service dog or normal dog into areas it shouldn't be, and it's not very well behaved, then you're creating problems for everybody else. You got a poop scoop. Or everybody gets barred from the park, right? Exactly. But that's one of the things that if people would prepare, just in general, when we uh, train a service dog, and we I train people to train dogs and train them to become canine behaviorists as well, and that's one of the main things we always do is sensitivity to other people, even to the point of a lot of people who um, think that they're training or trying to train their own dog to be a service dog, they figure, well, my dog's not great with other dogs or animals, but what are the chances that I'll be on an airplane with another dog. Well, they're pretty good. So uh, always assume that whatever you're training the dog to do, assume that you're training under versus over. Always try to do more. And even with your own dog, expose your dog to a lot of different situations and a lot of different things that, you know, eventually, Mm -hmm. like let's say the dog with a boat, get him used to moving around, get him used to a train, a plane, a bus that he's not always uh, assuming that every time he goes out, he's going out in the same car. The bigger his world, the more he's used to, the better. Um, and, right. you know, it's it's just so, this idea that a service dog, because he happens to be good with the people he knows, or children, or some small part of the world population, but he chases cats. He's got prey drive like mad. He'll catch and kill any cat he sees. He can't go to the hospital. What if on the same day there's a cat you know, service animal visiting. It's not going to fly, right? I mean, you got to train it. It can't, you can't have this idea that my dog's going to work 
but he can't be around this and he can't be around that and he can't handle this. And he, he's really good with people, though. <laughs> well, then, you know, right. love him to pieces. These, that's not the situation. These are work dogs. So you take shelter dogs and make them into service dogs. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. And it's not every dog. There are probably about one in ten dogs could be trained to be a therapy dog. That's a dog who goes into the hospital or, you know, just as generally a, a well-behaved dog that kind of lies there and is able to have people, you know, petting him and fawning all over him and he's not going to be jumping on them and barking at them. But remarkably few of those dogs are actually good with other dogs and even that can be a problem sometimes. Yeah, dogs have to be social to all the general public. People in wheelchairs, people with crutches and canes, other dogs, other animals, older people, people of different races, people of different ages. Uh, people people on crutches, people who walk funny, people on wheels like wheelchairs, right? So, right walkers, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And some dogs are really freaked out by that sort of stuff. It's nothing you can't solve with training. But if your dog's kind of a nervous, anxious sort, it's probably not the right work, right? He's absolutely not. Um, and, and when we're tra- training a dog to be a uh, service dog, you have an additional level because now you're not only asking the dog to be well-behaved and to be social, you're asking him to do a job without being distracted. And that's the biggest problem I see. A lot of times people have a dog that they want to train to be a service dog, but the dog isn't good with other people or it's not good with a particular, you know, race of people or, or little kids or older people. And, you know, the dogs for service dog, it's a, it's a whole other level. And, you know, you can't just take the dog that you have at home and say, oh, he's the best dog in the world and I love him. Well, yeah, he may be your best dog in the world, but he may not be the best dog in the world. And to take your dog out and subject him and other people to uh, potentially a bad day that he's having, and if he's out there and, and perhaps doing something that we don't want him to do, um, you know, people can get bitten and, and it's the other part of that is when people see a dog in a vest, for anyone who is thinking of yeah. going out and buying one online, when people see a dog in a vest and it says service dog and you pretend or you uh, say that the dog is a service dog, they assume at face value that it is a service dog. And what happens is it causes a problem for other people who do have a legitimate service dog. So if there is anybody who is looking to train their own dog to be a service dog, or to be a therapy dog to go and work within hospitals and so on and nursing homes, then that is something that we personally, one by one, evaluate each dog and handler team to see if not only the dog, but the human have what it takes to be that one in a hundred who can possibly become a service dog. It's a very long process, and you know we train on all kinds of crazy things. We train with other dogs. One of the things we do is we walk past dogs who are barking and lunging. And our dog has to walk through and not even acknowledge because you never know what you're going to see when you're out there. And we certainly have that enough when I've had Wyatt or Wispa or Savannah out on airplanes where there's a dog in, you know, in the airport that's running around trying to bite them and they literally ignore it. And people are just always blown away. But that's a training thing. The more we train you know, in the more locations, the more stable our dog is. And the more stable our dog is, the better behavior. A while back, I interviewed someone from the Delta Society, an examiner for this type of program, hospital visits. And I think I remember him saying that 
uh, the thing he most flunked dogs for was uh, the food problem. That if they were visiting a hospital and the patient was eating or had a tray of leftover food or a food dropped or meds dropped, the dog can't eat it. The dog can't go for it. And a lot of these labs and goldens, that for him was the flunker. Do you have that problem too? Well, we don't because we don't use labs and goldens or the doodles or any of these the dogs that have that kind of um, personality. Um, we use different types of dogs. We do have a couple of lab mixes, uh, a couple of golden mixes, but um, I use typically a lot of Rhodesian Ridgebacks who would like nothing more than to be perfect because they don't like being wrong. They don't like when when they know that they didn't do something right. They're they're all upset on their own. You don't have to say a word. And it's uh, even with uh, with certain dogs that are mixtures of those breeds. So we kind of don't take the typical dogs who um, yeah, I see tend your point. to be those kind of dogs. Because, you know, there's nothing cuter than a really well-behaved, even a knuckle-headed golden who just wants to go play and be a dog. <laughs> and he just wants right. to go chase his tail and, you know, run around and have just a time of his life. So I could never understand why we would want to take a dog that had that great temperament and force him, basically, to lose his inner puppy and have to behave so differently from what nature made him. So that's where I take dogs who are more, uh, yes, they might have some behavior. Job-minded. You're talking about the job-minded. Exactly. Exactly. The ethic. There are dogs out there who are not happy if not given work. I have a blue healer. He stares at me all day long. What's my next job? What's my next job? What's my next job? My golden is so happy to go swimming and then sleep, right? There's a different personality. (laughs) Exactly. And that's one of the things that we do. One of the things that people don't realize is you have people who are raising puppies for some of the different, um, you know, groups, and they don't give those people, and I have this because I have a whole group of kids at several universities and one of them in New Jersey, and the training, they keep saying to me, oh, my gosh, I never knew this. I've done fosters for, you know, how many other dogs for other groups. Nobody ever taught me this. I love to teach everybody who's going to be fostering. We have classes that we actually go through. This is what you don't do. This is from the time the dog is a puppy. This is how you handle it. But even so, um, because I am a behaviorist and I, I'm able to take dogs from all different kinds of uh, backgrounds, even dogs who have been food aggressive in the past, and teach them, hey, buddy, that's not your food, that's mine, and we don't even look at that, literally in, in a couple of days, without being mean, without ever yelling or screaming or throwing things or dog collars or phone collars or choker chains or anything like that. I would never use that on a dog. It's all about teaching. And if you think about teaching your child the words to a song, you wouldn't yell at your child if your child was wrong. You would just say, no, honey, that's not what it is. This is what it is. And right. that reinforcement of constantly this, this is the way it is, is a behavioral trait rather than giving them a cookie or a reward for doing a particular trick. Do you know, you just touched on two things that are so important to me. And sometimes I get on the air with somebody who advocates uh, shock collars, pain collars, and they they say that it's actually mimicking the mother dog and that it's humane and that uh, they get better results and that my methods, which is, you know, basically get the dog's trust first and then and then show them what you want, direct them to do it, and praise them like crazy. Repeat, 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 repeat. And mix it up with other things so he doesn't get bored, but... Constantly keep showing him if he does what you want, he gets praised and touched and pet. And there's an occasional cookie, 
like you'd give a sticker to a kid who does something exceptional or jumps a level or just to keep him interested from time to time, maybe to lose a fear, occasional treat. But mostly it's praise. And, you know, I've had this guy, Vladdy, the dog wizard on, where he just goes on and on about how that's just not an extreme enough standard and he gets results quicker. And I would argue, you know what, if that were true, then all the service dogs in the world would be trained with pain devices. And it just doesn't happen because it's not true. It doesn't make better results. In fact, it makes an unpredictable dog, right? Exactly. One of the biggest problems, Deborah, is, and again, I, I'm a behaviorist. I've fixed more than 25,000, probably over 27,000 at this at this stage, dogs with behavioral issues. And the one thing that causes a breakdown is when the dog no longer trusts the human. When you lose the dog's trust, you have nothing. So even the dog who's in a shelter who nobody can get near but one person we can fix that dog. We can work with that dog because that dog has trust for someone. But when you start shocking a dog or some of these crazy people that are throwing like a beanbag with a bicycle chain in it or supporting a dog, just imagine if you came into a house and, you know, there's your dad waiting for you. And not every time, but every hundred times, only three or four times a year, he shot you in the face with, uh, with uh, vinegar or something. Or he hit you one time only every, let's say, 100 days. You wouldn't have trust. You'd never be able to build up that trust. And that's the whole fundamental of having a dog, uh, especially a service dog, is being able to trust the handler that no matter what happens, that dog knows he can count on you. And that's why I, I use as an example very often if anybody ever had a spouse or a boyfriend who cheated on them uh, or, or a female. Um, cheated on them. And you'd say, well, I'll never do it again. But you did it the first time. And how can I really ever trust you? So it's a very funny thing when people start saying, oh, it happens quicker. Yeah, sure. If you're torturing me, I might give you information quicker, but I will never trust you and I will never do anything for you. And the first time well, I'm, I'm waiting for my opportunity. Really? <laughs> I'm waiting for my opportunity to leave. Okay, so we've been on Smart Animal Talk, all pause, all pause Pet Talk Radio. We only have a minute left. It's DebraWolfOnline.com if you want to hook up with me. But um, if you want to hear all about Merlin's kids, shelter dogs and service dogs in New Jersey, uh, where should they go, Janet? We have www.merlinskids.org or 855-HI-WYATT. W-Y-A-T-T, and uh, I also have a show on the same network uh, called From Shelter Dog to Service Dog, if anybody wants to tune in. And uh, Deborah is, is amazing, and it's always wonderful to be on with you. Um, and uh, I'm just so glad that you realize that way to a dog's heart is through trust, not through anything else of, of, of being cruel, but that true trust and that true Do you know what? I, I so appreciate it when my dog overrides me. And I've had it happen with a bear, and I gave the wrong command, and he overrode me, and he was right. And you don't get that when you pain train a dog. You get obedience, and you get the bear attacking you. So I told him to stay, and he didn't stay. He put himself between me and the bear, and he was right. So anyway, Smart Animal Talk, All Paws Pet Talk Radio. Until next week, be good to your animals. And anytime.